1: Has enjoyed going through the Gospel of Mark. Okay, that's half the people. I think that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good good turnout. Really, it's been fantastic. Um, And today really marks the close of that for us. We we we've um, we had a timetable, if you like, to read through it by the end of May. Um, And this morning we thought it would be good um, just to ask a few people to share, if you like, their highlights this morning. There's just something I want to read to you first. Before I asked one of them to come up. And it's just, um, it's in the introduction to Mark in uh, the message. I don't know if many of you read the message, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase. It's a great uh, paraphrase. This is, you can read a whole book in a sitting and it flows very easily. It's, and the Gospel of Mark takes probably about an hour, hour to an hour and a half to read the whole lot. But he says this at the beginning and it really sets the scene for me on, on what I found in reading Mark. He says, Mark wastes no time in getting down to business. A single sentence introduction and not a digression to be found from beginning to end. An event has taken place that radically changes the way we look at and experience the world and he can't wait to tell us about it. There's an air of breathless excitement in nearly every sentence he writes. The sooner we get the message, the better. The better off we'll be, for the message is good, incredibly good, God is here, and he's on our side. What a fantastic (laughs) summary. Yeah, praise God. What a fantastic summary of this gospel. So ironically, for a a whistle-stop gospel, we've taken quite a long time to go through it, haven't we? And I really hope that you've enjoyed that, because for me personally, not having to rush through something is great. To be able to read a book that has 16 chapters, to take our time I hope by the end of this that you feel personally that you've got to know the book of Mark, that you feel familiar with the story, you know what comes and where it comes, and that's a really great thing to have in any part of the word, and that's why we've taken our time in going through it. So without further ado, I'd like to invite our first guest speaker. I would like you to welcome these wonderful members of our family because they've come to share just in a few minutes with you just some of their highlights the things that God's spoken to them personally about and as they do I just would ask that you open your heart because there's some gems of revelation coming here and what they bring will sharpen what's in your heart the things that God has given you iron will sharpen iron this morning so if we could welcome Mary Elliot that would be great let's give her a warm welcome this morning
2: I think Mark's exciting. I've really enjoyed reading it, Um, partly because Jesus is constantly on the move. There's always something happening, always something going on, and our lives um, can be like that with him, always something going on. Um, He he healed, he confronted demons, he fed the hungry, he, he gave time to outsiders, and all those things were really good they they spoke to me one of the first things that caught my attention was that I have a choice whether to act on the word or not in Mark 1 it's the story about Peter's mother-in-law and Jesus went to her bedside it says took her by the hand and helped her sit up then the fever left her and she didn't lay in bed and think, oh, that's so much better. Um, I feel all right now. I think I'll just lie here and uh, and recover. No, she had a choice, and she got up, and she cooked a meal. And it spoke to me that my actions after God has helped me, when he's spoken his word to me, are an indication of how real my faith is, whether I, I believe that God has done what he says in his word. It's really reassuring to me that I don't have to know how the word works. I, I do a little bit of gardening, and I don't have to understand how a tomato seed becomes a big plant I just plant the the seed, which is God's word. And um, when I meditate on it, it becomes part of me, inside me. And Mark 4.11 says something amazing. You, Jesus talking to his disciples, are permitted to understand the secret or the mystery of the kingdom of God. Wow, yes, how about that? I sometimes when I'm reading um, one of the Bible stories, I put myself in the story. So I was listening to Jesus' explanation in Mark 4 and thinking, oh, that's really good. And then I thought, I can hear God speaking that to me anytime. Jesus said, it's in John 16 when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. That's good then. I can hear the explanation from Jesus if I don't understand something. Um, It may take a bit of effort. I might not be able to say, okay, God, I've got 10 minutes before I have to go out and do something. I might, might need to sit down and think about it and, and put some effort in and, uh, and meditate on it um, or look something up in the Bible. Um, I've discovered that the Bible is a great commentator on itself. When you find something and it reminds you of something else and you look it up, then it suddenly becomes really clear it's really good when Jesus spoke the word in Mark 4 he said let's cross to the other side of the lake and it didn't seem like it was going to happen in the middle of the lake the disciples panicked when they thought it's not going to happen like Jesus said but when God says it we can believe it And I had an understanding of this recently when I was talking to someone about storms in our lives and I thought about how the Gulf Stream flows at a deep level in the Atlantic Ocean and it isn't affected by what's happening on the surface. The Gulf Stream flows whatever is going on and it always keeps moving forward. The storms on the surface don't affect it. I think that Jesus had such a good understanding of what his father said in the Old Testament, which was the scriptures that he knew, that he knew when to speak out. I think he'd read Psalm 107, (laughs) verse 29 which says he calmed the storm to a whisper and stilled the waves what a blessing was that stillness as he brought them safely into harbour I think Jesus knew that and he knew the time to speak that when he said it and Mark recorded it (laughs) Um, Another moment when uh, it was highlighted to me about God's word, it was the persistence of the woman with the severe bleeding. Um, I don't believe she suddenly got up one morning and thought, I think I'll just go and touch that coat that the teacher Jesus is, is wearing I don't think that was how it was. I get the sense that she'd thought about it a lot. And the Amplified Bible says, for she kept saying, if I only touch his garments, I will be restored to health. And what we continually, what I continually think and speak is so important. I choose to hold on to what God says about me, about Situations about other people. God says it, so that settles it. And I'd better believe it. (laughs) Being persistent and persevering and not giving up is key for me. Jesus listened to his father. He said, I don't do anything on my own. And in Mark 11, he went to the temple and looked round carefully. But he didn't instantly do something, which Mark would have recorded with an immediately if if he had. (laughs) He waited until the next day before he cleared the temple. And there might be lots of reasons for that. Mark doesn't give any reasons for it. But I, I think it spoke to me that he... Waited and he listened for the right time to act. And then, just the last thing when we were considering highlights in Life Group on Thursday, something else jumped out for me. In Mark 13 31, Jesus said, Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. And it reminded me of the difference between the temporal and the eternal everything we can see around us in the natural world it sometimes seems so permanent but actually it's temporary but what Jesus says is lasting and it's true forever and what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 is 18. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. We can focus on things that are eternal. Those are some of my highlights from Mark's good news.
1: Thank you, Mary. Fantastic. Richard, would you like to come?
3: Wonderful. I've, I've really enjoyed going through the book of Mark over the last few months, and, and I just want to honour those people who've been able to speak to us and just say thank you for the wealth of ministry that you've imparted to us um, and wisdom on that journey uh, that we've been going through. Uh, you've truly left a deposit with us, so thank you. Um, the thing that's pressed on me the most during this journey of Mark is, is the fact that Jesus was a man. He was a person. And that may seem quite simple, but I, I do believe that there are characteristics that I've certainly seen through some of the visual cues that we've had and going through the Word that have helped me in my own journey and walk with God. And I think that there are some characteristics of Jesus as a man that we can apply to our own lives um, I want to start not in the book of Mark, but in 1 John 4, verse 17, it says, As he is, so also are we in this world. And in another version, it says, For we realise that our life in this world is actually his life lived in us. You really need to just consider and think about that, because it's, it's such um, an immense and powerful thing that... He is as we are in this world. So if we can grasp hold of some of Jesus' characteristics, we too, I believe, can be more productive in our walk with God. So I'm just going to say eight quick things, okay, that I've learned from the book of Mark. He was, and therefore we should be, number one. He was a man of authority, and therefore we should be people of authority, In Mark 1, verse 25, just after Jesus had cast out a demon, it said, Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. Now we have to remember that he is as we are in this world. So we need to apply this to our lives. Mark 11 says, in verse 24, you can pray for anything, and if you believe it, you will have it. Amen. So, we're people of authority. Number two, he, Jesus was a man of prayer. In Mark 1, verse 35, it says, before daybreak, the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. It says nothing about coffee, nothing about having to wake up before he did it. But it's something we can apply to our own lives. Before daybreak, the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place of prayer. And that that stirs me in my own uh, walk with God. And then throughout um, uh, the, the book of Mark, later on it says Jesus prays in Gethsemane. And there's lots of scripture which alludes to the fact that Jesus spent a lot of time praying. Number three, Jesus was a man of compassion. And this really struck me Um, in Mark one verse forty one. It says, "A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are, if you want to, you can heal me and make me clean." He said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. "I want to," he said. "Be healed." It's probably two of my, or three of my favorite words in the Bible. "I want to." It's, it's a powerful, powerful phrase. And Jesus said this to a man who was asking from him, I want to. Jesus was a man of influence. In Mark 3, it says, the news about his miracles had spread far and wide and vast numbers of people came to see him for themselves. We could be a church, a body of people. I don't just mean Living Rock, Sony Stanton, but a people in whom people want to see something of Jesus in us. So we should be a people of influence. Number five, he was a man of focus. In Mark 5, verse 35, it says, don't trouble the teacher now. This is about Jairus's daughter. And then later it says, Jesus stopped the crowd. And then it says, then we got there. Another crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave. So the context is, is... Jesus, on his way to Jairus' daughter, and they say, don't bother the teacher, and he ignores that. He focuses on what he's planned to do, and then when he gets to the house, everybody's wailing and crying, and he, he says, don't worry, she's just asleep. She's not dead, and they laugh at him, but in his focus, he asks them to leave, and that's how we need to be in our own walk with God. We need to focus So he made them all leave so that he could get on with what he was focused in doing. So we should be a people of focus. Number six, he was a man of obedience. And, you know, we don't need to to read loads of scripture to understand that he only wanted to do the will of God and he got nailed to a tree as a result of that. He was a man of obedience. Number seven, he was a man of identity. He knew who he was. And in Mark 14 verse 61 to 62 it says this then the high priest asked him are you the messiah the son of the blessed one jesus said i am and you will see the son of man seated in the place of power at god's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven jesus knew who he was he was a man of identity and we should know who we are because we are as he is in this world and finally, Jesus was a leader. In Mark 3, verse 7, this is just one quote, it says, he was followed by a huge crowd. And this is one of the things that I've really, really seen, is that wherever he went, people followed him. He was a leader of people. So quite simply, we should be as he is. People of authority, people of prayer, people of compassion and influence, People of focus, obedience, and identity, and a people who lead. Thank you.
1: Fantastic. Who's really blessed so far? <laughs> Fantastic. Absolutely great. Joe, I'd like to invite you to come. Let's give her a warm welcome, please.
0: You wouldn't think we'd all been reading the same book. We've all got so much different from it, which is brilliant. Can't complain of that. Okay, Um, now there's two passages, really, that for me were the highlight of this book. Um, It's Mark 11, the triumphal entry, and Mark 14, the Lord's Supper. And God really spoke to me about how they're interconnected and intercorrelated, these two chapters. We get a real glimpse of who Jesus is his authority, the temple, and the Old and the New Covenant in the relation to that. And both passages start off with a word of prophecy from Jesus, setting an account of what will happen when the disciples go out in search of something that's needed. And both prophecies come to pass, and Jesus reveals his authority over future events. And he's still doing that now in our lives. He's still... Speaks future prophecy over things that are going to happen in our lives. And in the triumphal entry, um, they're they're sent off to um, get this cult and given strict instructions on what they're to say and who they're to say it to. And Jesus reveals something about his identity in it. He says, um, If anyone asks you why you are doing this, tell him the Lord needs it and will send it back shortly. And it's a real glimpse of who he is to these people. And they recognize him as what's been prophesied, you know, the Messiah that's to come. And their response is joy. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And in the first passage in this chapter 11, the people are aware that he's presented himself as the Messiah. Um, But they're thinking of him as being someone who's going to come and save them from the Romans. They're thinking of the physical salvation. They're thinking of being rescued. Um, But in the second um, bit, we've got Mark 14. The disciples set off to find a room for the Passover. And it's where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover, is what they say to Jesus. For you to eat the Passover. And he gives them instructions about going off and finding the room and all that they've got to do. But he tells them, you know, it's not just about me. It's about you. In verse 15, he says, Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. It's something he wants to share with us. It's not just about him. Yes, it, it was about him, but it's about us. Um, and as was said before, it was really interesting what Richard had said about the man carrying the water jar. And I sort of think to myself, I wonder what he thought when he got up that morning. He'd probably never carried a water jar in his life. But that morning, God led him to get up and carry a water jar. And as Richard sort of said, you know, it probably did stand out as being... An unnatural event, something different that they would have noticed. Um, now, going back to the first passage, um, you know, Jesus, as I said, was seen as a physical rescuer, and in the second, reveal. You know, this one's a slightly different passage. It's talking about the Passover and Jesus revealing himself as a soul rescuer, the Passover lamb, because the whole of the second passage is talking. About preparations um, for what was customary—the sacrificing of this Passover lamb—and just over it, Jesus, Jesus gives us a, an insight into his heavenly authority on the way to the uh, temple, and he curses this fig tree. And it's a, a funny sort of event, but it it just sets the scene on that he's not doing this in his own strength it's something that God had given him authority to do and on reaching this temple um, this temple stood for all that the old covenant was Um, I mean Richard gave us a really good history on the tent so on the temple from the tent to the ruin and it looked absolutely fabulous on the outside and it just sort of made me think you know that's how we are to some degree I'm not saying we're good looking you know but on the outside we're made in God's image and we're we're good but on the inside we were rotten you know just as it was in the temple courts in those days when Jesus was there there was money changing selling of doves and trading and all sorts of immoral practices going on and in our lives before Jesus we had the same we had In our temple, immoral practices going on. We were doing things that we shouldn't have been doing. And Jesus reveals who he is to the people there. You know, he said, this is my house. You know, my house would be called a house of prayer for all nations. And their eyes must have been opened, some of them to some degree, but others still didn't see. It was a place of sacrifice for forgiveness, Sins were forgiven by the sacrifice of an animal, a dove or a lamb or whatever was taken. But when we go to chapter 14, we get the Passover meal, the true living sacrifice, the sacrifice that's for all of us. And I don't know if any of you have ever participated in an actual Passover meal. And I've been to and sat in on a messianic um, Passover meal and When you go through it, there is so much symbolism to be seen that is not seen by the Jewish nation, but that the believers would have known, would have recognised. And I'm sure Jesus, as he went through it, explained these things to them and opened their eyes to it. Now, the temple where these sacrifices were going on, it's... Richards have described it as being, you know, the house of God, um, and it's at the centre of the Father's heart. And in the New Covenant, we are the house; we're that temple. But He dwells in us now, and God wants us to get our house in order. He wants us to do away with the immoral things, to walk with Him, to have a relationship with Him. Um, in the temple, the, the Gentiles were allowed only in the outer courts, but we can come into the full fullness of relationship with God. We can get into the inner courts, into the inner sanctum, and it's Jesus that heralds the moving into these inner courts. And the Passover meal, when we share communion, because in a way, effect that is what it is. It's a, a communion is a Passover meal. It's so wonderful that we can be cleansed by the blood and he when he does this Passover meal with his disciples he's explaining who he is and what's so vital and that for me was just a real I mean I've read it countless times but to see the correlation between the two just really was for me the highlight of the the book.
1: Thank you well done. Fantastic. Simon Rowland, he's our last speaker. Let's give him a warm welcome. So being
4: last is always the scary place because you're thinking what you've got to share might have been shared four times or three times before. I'm pleased to say that isn't the case. Um, it's a, it reminded me a little bit of um, explorers group that Liz and I lead where uh, the last Friday of the month, um, everybody brings some food with them. And, uh, you know, what you wouldn't want, of course, you know, you want a nice spread and you want some puddings and you want some starters and some salad and some volivants, they're important. Uh, But what you don't want is just everybody to bring tomatoes. Can you imagine? (laughs) Welcome to Explorers. Uh, For starters, uh, we we have tomatoes. (laughs) Main course, tomatoes. And pudding today, tomatoes. Tomatoes. Praise God. Um, we're really blessed in our church. I know the other guys have, have also said this, but we're so blessed to be a church that teaches the Bible. Amen. You know what? Not every church does that. Um, there'll be others apart from me with a testimony where I was going somewhere else and it wasn't the Bible that was taught. It was whatever. Um, write Be and follow some words and stand up and sit down and... It's all very religious and all very dead, Um, but here it's life. And for us to be taught for a series of months from the Gospel of Mark in our wonderful Bible is just fantastic. So thank you guys, thank you so much, and obviously um, Lisa as well. Um, I just want us to quickly read a passage and then I'll just share for a couple of minutes what uh, in particular has spoken to me, and that's uh, Mark, you'll be surprised, 14, 3 to 9. Mark 14, 3 to 9. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard, she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than 30,000 pounds and the money given to the poor and they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you'll have always and you can help them anytime you want but you'll not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. So we heard from Lisa, didn't we, and she shared some fantastic things with us about about this passage she talked about lingering long enough, encouraging us to take time in the presence of God. And as Mary's already encouraged us this morning, it's that place where sometimes we've got to press in, we've got to hang around a while. We've got to linger in the word to get the, the truth out of this incredible, incredible book, incredible book, which is so much more than any other book that we read. Um, she talked about, is it wasteful? Or is it worship? Um, I put a figure in there on purpose. Now, some people earn much less than that, and some people earn an awful lot more. But just take a kind of uh, UK average of twenty-eight to 30,000 pounds a year. She broke 30,000 pounds worth of perfume over Jesus. She didn't undo a lid and put a drop on him. She smashed the jar. They're sealed jars, Lisa told us. She broke it, and she gave it. The phrase that really caught my eye, though, in this passage was, truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And that got me thinking. That got me lingering. That got me pressing in and wondering, why would we talk about this woman when we're sharing the gospel? Why might I do that in future when I'm sharing the gospel? I've some thoughts to share with you very briefly on this. I've got five bullets here and then a particular point that really grabbed me. Firstly, because it was daring. She was really daring. A woman, without being asked to or, or, or without being given permission to, pouring a liquid on Jesus, a perfume on Jesus. She invaded a man's space. I don't know much about the culture 2000 years ago, but I think women were subservient to men, and I think what she did was very daring. I also think it was incredibly sacrificial. Lisa touched on this. This was her entire life savings, probably signifying everything she owned. The third thing I thought was because it was all about Jesus in a world when it's often all about me. The fourth thing was because she believed it would bring him joy, bless him, and please him. It was all about Jesus. And finally, maybe she'd been watching Jesus. Maybe she'd been following him a while and listening maybe she'd understood something that others had missed maybe she knew in her heart that he was soon going to be taken away even if she didn't understand why or how Jesus had referred to his burial in this passage he'd been talking and teaching just two days I believe before the cross an awful lot about what was going to happen and maybe she'd been listening But then, in thinking about why this would be shared wherever the gospel is preached in all the earth, I remembered another scripture in Mark 12 30, where Jesus answers the teachers of the law who asked him, Of all the commandments, Jesus, which is the greatest? And Jesus replied, The most important one, answered Jesus, is this Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment, singular, greater than these, plural. Now, Jesus did nothing by mistake. Everything is intentional. So it's interesting that Jesus actually gives him two commandments in his reply. Loving God And loving our neighbor that's other people in the in the earth it's clearly connected in God's strategy for the kingdom and his church it's not an accident Jesus is making a point the woman demonstrated both aspects of these most important commandments she was uniquely positioned in this moment to love both God and man Her loving, sacrificial abandonment demonstrated the very essence of what it is, I believe, to be a Christian. To love the Lord with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. Everything we have and everything we are. And to love our fellow man just as we love ourselves. She must have really loved Jesus. She must have adored him, worshipped him intensely. Above everything, everyone, heart, soul, mind, and strength. She must have wanted to be with him, whatever, and when, and whenever, and wherever. She didn't care what others thought of her. I think that's what happens when you love someone. I love my wife. I love Liz, and I don't care what anybody thinks that I can say that here this morning. Love does that to you. It means you don't care. I think this woman personifies the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think she demonstrates for all time how we're to love the Lord and everyone else. She demonstrates in the most profound way what it really is to be a Christian. There's no counterfeit, no alternative, no second level. We're lovers of the Lord Jesus Christ and we're lovers of the people of the world. We preach one gospel best demonstrated in a woman who lived 2,000 years ago and broke everything she had and poured it on Jesus. She personifies the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know where you're at today in your life. I have no idea. But Jesus knows you, and he knows why you're here, and he loves you. And if you'll just forgive me for two minutes, I just want to say this to you. God loves you. He once took some loaves and broke them and fed 5,000 people. A few days later, he took some loaves and broke them and fed 4,000 people. A few days later, at a meal, he broke the bread and he gave it to his disciples. Symbolic of him giving his own life on the cross just two days after we read this passage. Jesus broke himself and gave himself for you and for me. And if you're here this morning and you're visiting us, or you've been coming to this church, but you've never really known Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Saviour, then I'm offering him to you this morning. In Jesus' name, come to Christ today. You can know him in the same way that I know him. I once said, Lord, I don't understand but if you love me, please come into my heart and save me. And that prayer was enough for God to come and save me and put my feet back on firm ground and give me a brand new start. My name's Simon. If you don't know me and if you don't know Jesus, please, at the end of the meeting, come and talk to me. I want to tell you more. Be bold. Don't hold back. Come and say, I want to know more about Jesus. And I'll share more about him with you. Praise God. Be blessed.
1: Praise God. You know, one of the things when we started um, this series, personally, that I hoped is that we wouldn't learn more about Jesus that we would get to know him better. And that remains my prayer and my hope for all of us. And just hearing from from four amongst us, that certainly seems to be the case. What we've heard this morning is not stuff about Jesus. We've heard revelation of who he is today. Not just then, but today. Father, we just thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful gospel that you have safeguarded for us. All of these years, your Holy Spirit has seen it through to the place it sits now in our hand, Lord. And we just give you thanks for your word today. Lord, we give you thanks for Jesus. Lord, you've spoken to us this morning about surrendering to him, about fixing our eyes on him, about pressing into him, about lingering in his presence. And Father God, we just thank you for your son. He is the most precious thing in our lives. And Lord Jesus, we just want to conclude our time together this evening, uh, this morning, Lord, just by saying, Lord, that we love you. We love you, Jesus. And that we surrender our hearts to you that you are number one in our lives and that we ask you to use us, Lord, in the building of your kingdom. And as we do that, Lord, that you would reveal more of yourself to us. Show us yourself, Lord, as a friend shows himself to a friend. Lord, we are your friends and we open up our hearts to you fully, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen.
0: Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We meet every Sunday at 10.30am in Stony Stanton and 4pm in Tamworth and Market Harborough. Feel free to come and visit us, we'd love to meet you.